Turning to second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the second chapter, for tonight. <clears throat> First four, five. First five verses. And let us read these verses. First Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my, <clears throat> my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for this occasion where Paul declared what he did when he went to the Corinthian church as he would preach the gospel unto them and the, how he did this. And I pray, Lord, that we would take a pattern of his life. Lord, we looked at how he warned this morning the Ephesus elders where he had ministered for three years and he was seeing them for the last time and how he wept and they wept Lord it is a sad occasion to see someone for the last time and we can remember the parting of loved ones when they we saw them for the last time and those things are not forgotten and Lord we know that the Ephesus elders have gone and many of those who are elderly among us have gone and we will go one day if you tarry but Lord the message is carried on by those that are left and as we look at the message tonight I pray that those that are younger would take heed to this and keep passing the same good old gospel message on take it to heart and use the same methods and same approach because the message does not change People come and go, but the word has been passed on. We thank you for the people that have been faithful, that have passed it on from the apostle till now, and that we have had the unadulterated message of the gospel passed down through the generations and has been passed on through the blood of the saints and through the faithfulness of preachers and pastors and elders and bishops and deacons, Lord, that have given us the message. Thank you for that. And Lord, that you've been faithful to your church. And bless now the word as it's opened in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we are looking at the unadulterated word of the gospel given through communication of the apostle here. Five things we'll notice. Paul reminded the Corinthians of what he had avoided in verse 1. <clears throat> Secondly, of what he had avowed, in verse 2, he reminded them of the attitude that he had when he delivered the message, in verse 3. He reminded them of the approach he used when he gave them the gospel, in verse 4, and his aim when he came to them with the gospel, in verse 5. And so these things are mentioned in these first five verses. <clears throat> in Corinth... 
The trouble is, and this is why Paul approached it this way, they were taking a philosophical approach to the gospel, human reasoning. And the result was a hybrid message that was not the gospel at all. And you remember that in Paul's writing later on in chapter 15, he spelled out the gospel very clearly, didn't he? At the beginning of the chapter on the resurrection, he said the gospel is the death, the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all to do and about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made it very clear. It's worth noting that when Paul ministered in Corinth, he obeyed our Lord's commission and preached the gospel. He didn't come with some philosophical way and approach to ministering the gospel. If we turn, keep your hand in Corinthians, Corinthians and go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And we have the commission of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 28. <clears throat> if you've got another hand, <laughs> go also to Acts chapter 18. And this is where Paul was at Corinth. <clears throat> Matthew 28 and verse 18. This is the, the, the Lord's commission to the church, generally. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. You can hold that and also look at what Paul did in his ministry in Acts chapter 18 in Corinth. It reads in verse 1 of 18 of Acts, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. He found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, lately came from Italy, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. And when they had opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered into a certain man's house, whose name was Titus Justus, one who worshipped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptised. And uh, down in verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Well, back in verse 10, for I am with thee and no man shall set thee, said the Lord, to hurt thee. I have much people in this city. There's a few parallels here. The Lord in the commission of Matthew 28 said, go ye therefore. <laughs> Paul came to Corinth, as we've read in this section of Acts. Make disciples, the Lord Jesus said in verse 19 of 28 of Matthew. Many heard and believed in verse 8 of Acts. 
baptizing them, Jesus told them to do, told us to do. In verse 8, and were baptized, Crispus and his household, as mentioned in Acts 18, teaching them. And for a year and six months he taught the word of God unto them. So he was obeying what the Lord had commissioned him to do. And the Lord said in Matthew 28, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And he's still with us. And the Lord said in verse 10 of Acts 18, Personally to Paul, And I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. I have much people in this city. You see, and the Lord still says that, and the, still, the Lord still wants us to do what he said to them to do. Now, <clears throat> what happened in Corinth is happening in churches today where people water down the word of God and they mix philosophy, men's wisdom, new revelations, they say are revelations, certainly not from God, and visions, and psychology, and philosophy, and human wisdom with God's revealed message, causing confusion and division. And Paul explained three things, and we're only looking at one of them tonight, three fundamentals of the gospel message. And he urges his readers in Corinth to return to these fundamentals. The unadulterated word of the gospel, the gospel centers on the, in the death of Christ, verse 1 to 5. That's the only one we're looking at tonight as we've given the outline of that already. The unequaled wisdom of the gospel given through inspiration, verses 6 to 9, another week, Lord tarries. <laughs> and the undaunted witness of the gospel given through illumination. The gospel is revealed through the Spirit of God. Now we go back to these five verses. The unadulterated word of the gospel given through communication the gospel centers in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ Paul reminded the Corinthians what he had avoided and I or accordingly or on the basis of the and for the glory of God that is the testimony of God in verse 1 he was declaring this this is what he had avoided. He had avoided the philosophy of the worldly way. Now, if you go back into, we won't go back there, but if you read the chapter before in chapter 17 of the book of Acts, Paul had been at Athens. I'll go back there. And in verse 17, 16, and while Paul waited for them, the others, to come to him, to minister with him, his spirit was stirred in him, and he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. And he disputed in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons in the market daily with them, met with them. And certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him. And then he stood in Mars Hill and he did start using the philosophy to counter their philosophy. He did do that. And a few people got saved, but he didn't have a continuing ministry among them. Maybe as he trekked across from Athens to Corinth, he considered the method that he had used. So he, he talked about to the unknown God whom you ignorantly worshipped. He said, to all these gods you've got up here, and um, 
He said, but I'm going to tell you about another one, or about the true God. <laughs> he did say that in that, the rest of chapter 17 of Acts. And the time he got to Corinth, he said, no, I'm just going to present the unadulterated, clear gospel message. I'm not going to mix it with human philosophy. And I'm going to just trust in the power of God through the Holy Spirit to do a work amongst these Corinthians. And it worked. It worked. You know, in our human reasoning, we can think, no, we have to fine-tune the message and make it uh, palatable to the, to the people we're ministering to. Maybe if we just got back to relying on God to do the work, <laughs> and he was avoiding doing that in Corinth. And he stayed there for a year and a half. And as, as God said to him in chapter 18 of Acts, he said of much people in this city that are going to get one. Now, there was problems in the church at Corinth. That's what we're dealing with in First and Second Corinthians. But there were many people going to be one. And uh, <clears throat> the Lord was going to be glorified in this place and uh, through these people. There was a rich, <laughs> there was money here. There was people going to uh, be able to give to, to ministry. Although it took a bit of, uh, preaching to them to to have them to do that and and a bit of embarrassing them Paul embarrassed them almost into giving uh, they had it but they didn't part with it they didn't see the grace of giving and Paul had to teach that to them as you find it in in the church at Corinth and if these if these churches didn't have these problems we wouldn't have the teaching on these things but because they did have it Paul penned it down and taught them and all the churches from then on um, <clears throat> Had Paul come to Corinth to glorify himself or to start a religious fan club? No, he came to glorify God, as it says there, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I'm not come to show you how good I am or to, you know, have a club to follow me. And I'm Paul, I'm the apostle. No. In what way did God, did, did Paul not come? He didn't come in eloquency of speech. He didn't come with his with his doctorates and whatever he had received under Gamaliel, with excellency of speech or clever arguments as a philosopher or as the philosophers did, but he simply declared God's word in the power of the Spirit. He was, as the Bible says, an, an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ, as Ephesians 6.20 says, for which I am an, I am an ambassador in bonds, that in this I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. And over in Second Corinthians 5 and verse 20, we read, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. We are only ambassadors. We are spokespersons. We are people that God works through, and channels the message to other people. In Colossians 2 and verse 4, we read this, For this I say, lest any man should beguile youth with enticing words. Now, Paul was no dummy. Paul could have used excellent speeches. He could have twisted them up with his words. But he decided not to do that. So that the message that went out was God's power working through him by the power of the Spirit. Not with enticing words. Even at Colossae, he said, watch out. For though I am absent in flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, he said. 
joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. For as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him. He is the important one. Not us, not our words, not our methods. The Lord Jesus in whom you've trusted, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. You know, once the preacher's gone, once these apostles have gone, once these people that have established the church is gone, then who are you going to be relying on? Who's left? The Lord Jesus. The one you trusted in. He's the one you've got to look to and trust in and believe on and continue in. And in verse 8 of Colossians 2, it continues, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. He said, Follow Christ. Not the rudiments of the world, not the traditions of men, not the philosophies and vain deceits that they promote. They'll spoil you through that. You'll you'll learn to rely on them and not on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Uh, As he said back in 1 Corinthians 1.17, Therefore Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of none effect. So that's what he avoided. He reminded the Corinthians he had avoided doing that. He could have. He was, he was intellectual. He was smart. <laughs> but he avoided doing that. And maybe he avoided doing that having had the experience just at Athens a little bit earlier. Now, I'm not saying that we can't use what he did at Athens. I think, Bernie, you talked about that this morning there. He, 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 did, he, he used the method of starting at creation. And, and t- talking about creation to them, you know, this is the God that created the world. But when he got to the resurrection, that's when they turned off. <clears throat> and they were mocked at him, some believed. Many of them turned off when he got to the, uh, the resurrection. But anyway, <clears throat> he then just simply at Corinth gave the gospel and God worked. Wonderful. The second thing in I, brethren, came to you not with excellency of speech, of wisdom, of words. Declaring to you the testimony of God in the second thing in verse 2, for I determine, back in 1 Corinthians, not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul reminded them of what he had avowed. I'm just going to talk about the Lord. (laughs) I'm going to declare him unto you. Too many today might magnify their gifts and not the Lord and his glory. I read a story of a, at a church where behind the pulpit there was a stained glass window and in the stained glass window there was a stained glass depiction of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And the usual preacher wasn't there. The usual preacher was a big man. There's a visiting preacher there and he's a small fella. <coughs> There's a little girl in the audience. And... Um, <coughs> The little girl said, where is the usual man that stands so that we can't see Jesus? You know, there's a lot of preachers, and we might be included among them, that we stand in the way of people seeing Jesus. What did the Greeks, was it the Greeks said, sirs, when they come to the apostle, we would see 
Jesus. But we stand in the way with all our gifts and talents and, and how we use the words. Let's see the Lord Jesus. You know, when we get to heaven, the first person we're going to see, <laughs> I know I've said, oh, we'll go and look for Moses. But who will we? Who will we see? Who will our eyes be beholding? The Lord Jesus. He's the one that saved us. He's the one that got us there. He's the one that made us, that thought of us, created us, had us to be you know, recreated in his image. It'll be the Lord Jesus. And that's what we need to do. A vow now, like Paul did. This is what he reminded them. He avowed to know nothing among them save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, we've got all our friends. We've got all our family. We've got people that are unsaved around us. We need to make sure that we avow when we get with them that we make known Jesus Christ and him crucified. <clears throat> There's many other things we can talk about. But it is difficult, isn't it? Not easy to talk about the Lord Jesus and him crucified. Yeah, what are you talking about? But that's where the power of God comes in to work by the Holy Spirit to touch the hearts of unsaved people. That's what God has said. That's the way God has done it. It's human reasoning. We think, no, that won't work. God said that's the way it works. <laughs> Let's believe what he said. Back in chapter 1 and verse 18, after the 17 we read, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to us who are saved it's the power of God. <coughs> it is, it works. Believe what God has said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. <coughs> but what things were gained to me, Paul said, all the education, all the training, he, and that's what he'd gained in life to the point of salvation, those I counted loss for Christ. Uh, yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And I tell you, brethren, that, you know, you get older and there is nothing else. Uh, you can get everything in life, but that is not going to matter. We'll just go off air for a little bit. We'll be back in a minute. <clears throat>
Yes, we have and we should avow with Paul. We've got a task of being ambassadors for Christ. And Paul reminded them and he reminds us today that we should be ambassadors for Christ to testify earnestly to people that have a need. Paul's earnest desire and heart's cry was to know Christ and to bring others to know him also. What are we acclaiming? Ourselves and our righteousness or Christ and his righteousness? Paul, thirdly, in verse 3 of that, those, chapter 2, said this, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Paul reminded the Corinthians of his attitude here. How did Paul say he was coming to them? Although he was an apostle, he came to them in, as a humble servant. He became nothing that Christ might become everything. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, he said, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in present and base among you, being absent and bold towards you, I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with you, that confidence, with that confidence with which I think to be bold against some, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. <laughs> Paul, as it were, he, he had been perceived by the Corinthians to be a weaky because of his willing humility among them. But he could fire up. And he could let them have it. But he had deliberately chosen by the power of the Lord to be humble among them. In verse, in, in the same chapter, in, in, in um, Corinthians chapter 10, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 9, we read this. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters. Because his letters were weighty, heavy, hard-hitting. For his letters, they say, well, there it says, weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such an one think this, that such as we are in word by letters when we are absent, such will we be indeed when we are present. Next time I come, if you want me to display that, I will. (laughs) But he was just being gentle as a nurse to her children and nice as a Christian should be so that it didn't display arrogance and ignorance toward them but a gentleness of Christ as Christ is. So often think about that yourself. Think about how Jesus Christ is. Think about God and how he has treated you and I. That's the way we should treat other people. (laughs) Oh, he is long-suffering. He is gentle. He is kind. And he said in verse 12 of Second Corinthians 10, For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some commending themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. <clears throat> yes, let's not be like the world, <laughs> building up ourselves. You know, when you write a resume, what is it called now? It's called a CV. CV, CV. is that a four-wheel drive? CV. <laughs> but in those things today, you, what do you, what do you, what do they tell you to do? Yeah, <laughs> pump yourself up. You know, build yourself up. Talk about yourself. Tell, tell everyone how good you are. 
boy, that just doesn't sound right to me. If I had someone telling me how good they were, I'd like to show them, show me how good you are, you know. (laughs) Prove yourself, you know. Don't be a novice and tell me, but show me. (laughs) Anyway, that's the way the world is. Show me, you know. I want to see you working. I want to see your attitude. I want to see you in action. And God wants to see, and we like to see the Lord doing it in action. He proved himself while he was here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world, we've looked at this before, the things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, the things that are not to bring to naught the things that are. In 4.10 and 9.22, these things are spoken about also. And in, in 2 Corinthians and chapter 12 and verse 9 and 10, we read where the Lord came to Paul and he said unto, unto Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. Paul then said, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. It's the infirmity that Paul had requested the Lord to take away. And God said, no, it's better you have it because I can work, I can work more through your infirmities than through your abilities that you have and your strengths. I can work through your weaknesses. <laughs> it's when we're down and out and... And and we say, oh, we can't do it. It's impossible. Give up. Then the Lord says, now it's time for me to work. <laughs> now I can work and now I know who's going to get the glory. <laughs> Not you, but me, says the Lord. And let's pray that God will do that. You know, some of us are going through hard times and with the hard times we're facing as a church and as the church in the world. It's now that the Lord can work, you know. It's now that the Lord can have a little revival start. It is. Because we can get right with God and we can let God work and say, I'm taking my hands off this and let God do something and let God learn us some lessons and see him get the glory and the power might be of God to work in it all. Therefore I take pleasure, Paul said in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities. I wonder if Paul in, in heaven now is, you know, he's had all those thousands of years now to look back and think. And all these other people turning up from down there. I read your epistle. <laughs> I read Romans. I read your prison, prison epistles, Paul. And Paul said, oh, that's why I went to prison. <laughs> I wrote those epistles. And I wrote that verse, and you got saved through that verse. And that fellow got saved through that verse. And that's what God was doing. That's why I was locked up. I thought I was locked up and I wasn't getting any work done. And he, he got in, to a point in his life, he said, I have no lot, man like-minded that will naturally care for your state and, and all these churches are without pastors. And he said, I, I thought it was all hopeless. It was going to die after I left. But God was still working, wasn't he? And God was still able to raise up and God kept it going and he's still keeping it going. And Paul was, will still be rejoicing that people are still getting saved through the epistles that he penned 2,000 years ago. God works. In his grace is sufficient. He took pleasure in that, in reproaches, in necessities. But it takes a long time for humans to learn this principle. 
because of our pride and our arrogance and our unwillingness to, to submit and surrender and humble ourselves before the Lord. In distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, what does it say? Then am I strong. Paul reminded the Corinthians of his attitude, weakness and fear, as he said back in our text, verse 3. <clears throat> I was with you, with you in weakness and fear in much trembling. This worked better than what it worked at Athens. <laughs> And then verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, not with philosophical ideas, but in demonstration of the spirit and power. He reminded them of his approach in this verse, of his attitude in verse verse 3 and his approach in verse 4. He depended upon the Lord for the message. Over in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, Verse 29, it says this. He giveth power to the faint, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. You know the next verse. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, shall mount up with wings like eagles, shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint that's trusting in the Lord that's the approach we should have it's the Lord gets the glory not our strength not us getting the glory and in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 it reads much the same then he answered and spoke unto me saying this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying not by might nor by power but by my spirit saith the Lord And down in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Zechariah, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth, and he's looking for those whose heart is right with the Lord. And so there back in verse 4, my speech and my preaching were not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration. Their demonstration is legal proof presented in a court, in demonstration. The only proof Paul needed was that his message was from God and that his message worked wonders through God, <laughs> doing a work in the lives of people. And in Second Corinthians chapter 3, it worked wonders in the Corinthians' life. In chapter 3 of Second Corinthians, he said, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, he said, written in, in our hearts, known and read of all men. He said, The evidence that we are of God is you. You are our epistle written and and he's written they're written in his heart known and read by people everywhere for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not in the tablets of stone but in fleshly tables of the heart what a better way to have an epistle written what a better way to have a testimony than people that have through the power of God got right through the Spirit of God and are doing the work of God who are following the Lord through your 
testimony and preaching and ministry. That's what Paul's saying. Then the fleshly tables of the heart and such trust we have through Christ to Godward. Now, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, Paul said, but our sufficiency is of God. So Paul reminded them of his approach, not with enticing words in verse 4, but in demonstration and power of the Spirit. And verse 5 we finish, but that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul reminded them of his aim. He desired them to trust in the Lord, not a philosophical message made by man, but trust in the Lord. Not an explanation of a man, but that of the power of God. Um, what did Paul say in Romans 1.16? Um, yeah, thank you. <laughs> for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for he's the power of God unto salvation. And that's what his converts had trusted in as God spoke to them through that message. They, they put their faith in the Lord and they were a demonstration of his ministry. <clears throat> um, is your faith based on what someone told you or what the Spirit told you? Who is your salvation resting upon, man or God? Is your faith the based upon <clears throat> what someone said or upon what someone quoted you from the word of God and then the spirit used that to minister to you as first john 3:24 says and that you that and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him and by this we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit whom he hath given us. And so the Spirit whom he hath given us, does the word bear witness in your heart? Does, does Christ through his word bear witness in your heart that you are saved, that you are born again? Or is it, oh, uh, preacher so-and-so, or someone said something? The gospel is still God's power to change lives, isn't it? Effectiveness in evangelism does not depend on our arguments or our persuasive gimmicks, but on the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives through the word that we share. I can re recall the days, and I don't hear it much these days, maybe I don't listen to some, sorry, American preachers. <laughs> if... Now I did listen to a lot of them, a lot of them, tapes, reel-to-reel -reel tapes. I should bring one of them, hold them up. Still got a few in them, study. Yeah. But the preachers would preach a message. Half the message would be the message. Half the message would be the invitation. You remember? Have you heard those sort of messages? You haven't probably heard those sort of messages. They don't, you don't get them around today. And they'd have the song leader get up, or they'd do the song leading, and say, I'm not knocking a song, but they'd get going on just as I am. The song is a good song, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood, thy blood was shed for me. And they'd <clears throat> sing the song. And if no one would come down the aisle, you know, they'd sung the song right through and no one had come, we're going to sing it again. 
And then we're going to sing it again. And we'll sing the last verse three times until someone comes. It's sort of an emotional push to persuade. And, and someone, I'm just going to go out there to get stop, stop this service. <laughs> but some people would emotionally be moved and be persuaded by men. And they would say and look back on that experience that I got saved that day. It's not right. It's not right to, to use philosophy and vain ways of getting men. It's got to be God's convicting spirit in the life of it. Now, if you got saved that way and you really, I trust it was before you got out of the seat that God was convicting you by the word and that you were convicted about your need of salvation, your, that you were a sinner and need to get saved before the Lord. Um, if someone's clever argument, the wisdom of man, persuaded you to profess, then another man's clever argument could persuade you to unprofess, to abandon your profession. Young people can go off from their home church brimming with confidence in God's word and come back with their faith destroyed, arguing with their church, their pastor, their, their family, failing of the grace of God because they've been persuaded before they went by philosophy. Let's not talk someone into it because they can be talked out of it. The Bible says, if you continue in the faith, Colossians 1.23 the Bible says in Hebrews 10, let no man draw back. I'm not saying you can lose your salvation, but if you are genuinely saved, you won't draw back. You will continue in the faith. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 13:5, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. 1 Corinthians 9:27, don't become a castaway. Hymenus and Alexandra. Well, Alexandra, I think his name was. Make your calling and election sure, First Peter one ten. You know, <clears throat> there was a talking to this morning about um, the, the 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 first eleven chapters of Genesis. Yeah, it was Brother Chris Perry about the the fundamental, the, the basis of that. If if you can go away and you get persuaded by evolution, by these vain philosophers of the world, you can be screwed right out and taken away. If your faith is not grounded by the Spirit of God in the Word of God, and this is unchanging, this is true, it is forever, and it's, you just better believe it for your eternal life. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Gospel, be wise. The unadulterated Word of the Gospel, it's based on this, isn't it? Is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again and we know now he's really soon coming again for us and um, with all that's going on even so Lord come Heavenly Father thank you for your word bless that to our hearts may we go out sharing the good news and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ but as Paul realized that our arguments amount to nothing, it's the word that we share with people that your Holy Spirit can take 
and convert the sinner. Let's trust in your wisdom, in your gospel, and the power of it. Let our aim be, and our prayer be as we go, that men might be saved, and that they still can be saved in in this century, at this last hour. Bless each one's ministry and give opportunities to which each Lord and snatch a fire from a brand from the fire in the last minute to be added to your church and the fullness of the Gentiles might come in. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.